0: I'm Alan Skorsky with Bayless and welcome to The Definitive Wrap, where we discuss the news items the mainstream media just won't touch. Today with us, we have Jeff Balaban, a senior advisor to the Trump 2020 campaign, and also an advisor to the GOP on matters related to Israel. After eight years of the Obama-Biden administration, without a doubt, for anyone with a shred of intellectual honesty can deny that he was the most hostile administration to Israel in our times. From his declaration early on that he would create daylight between Israel and the United States, something that no president from either party ever said, at least publicly, to his address at the University of Cairo, where he made a moral equivalence between the Holocaust and Palestinian cause, to his embrace of J Street's most extreme anti-Israel policies, today we have in Donald Trump the most pro-Israel, pro-Jewish, and anti-anti-Semitism president uh, in history. And with everything he has done for Israel and the Jewish people, Joe Biden still stands to win 65 to 70% of the Jewish vote. Jewish activists and pundits write columns like, is Trump good for the Jews? Or why Jews should vote for Joe Biden? And from what I see moving forward, the greatest threat to Israel is coming from the Jewish left. And I hate to say that, But when you have Jewish activists calling Trump an anti-Semite or comparing him to Nazism that our own people would go so low into the gutter, I don't know who these people are anymore. Jeff, in your recent interview with the Jewish press, you were asked, what is the Jewish case to vote for Trump? And for me, this was rather insulting because I believe as an American, whatever is good for America is good for Israel and the Jewish people. Bela, what did you uh, take away from that interview?
1: Yes, um, Alan. It's uh, noteworthy that two years ago in 2018, our guest has made a case for liking President Trump not only for the Jewish cause, but for the business strategy for media outlets too. In fact, it proved to be true with the weekly standard. Vanity Fair and others who um, ended up either looking for buyers or reevaluating their strategies in, in hope of becoming more profitable. And this was after devoting much time to attacking the president. Our guest's analysis was accurate, so we are very lucky to have with us Jeff Balabon, whose precise analysis comes from his vast background in politics. Jeff, who is a a veteran of now six presidential campaigns and over a dozen House and Senate campaigns, he's a graduate of Yale Law School, Near Israel Rabbinical College, and Yeshiva University. Jeff previously was senior vice president at CBS Corporation in charge of all CBS News Communications. He served as Republican counsel to the U.S. Senate Commerce Committee and legislative counsel to Senator John Danforth. He has twice been a presidential appointee and has received two certificates of distinguished service from the U.S. Senate. Jeff has been profiled in numerous books about Washington, politics, and the media, and is the basis of a character in the critically acclaimed novel, Bagman. He has been named one of the 50 most influential Jews in America. What an honor to have you with us on the definitive wrap. Jeff, I read your most recent interview in the Jewish Press, which Alan just referenced, where you were asked why there is a Jewish case for voting for Donald Trump. You stated that you can't imagine a Jewish case to not vote for him. Interestingly, in August of this year, you stated in an article that the Middle East is listening to America. You wrote that President Trump built an entirely new diplomatic framework for the Middle East, grounding it in reality, history, justice, morality, and human rights. So when the Jewish press asked you to explain why there is a Jewish case for voting for Donald Trump in your usual eloquent style, you elaborated your reasons. Can you share a bit of that with our listening audience of Jewish voters who may still be undecided. As you know, we have, and as our our listeners know, we now have two more days, just two more days till the election. So this is a great opportunity to hear and gain from your expertise.
2: Thank you, Bela, and thank you, Alan, for the lovely introduction and for teeing it up. it's true. I cannot imagine a legitimate Jewish case for voting against Trump. Frequently when it comes to matters of policy and po- well, politics specifically, uh, people feel like they have to make a choice. Americans feel like they have to make a choice of the lesser of two evils uh, or the greater of two goods in an optimistic scenario. We don't have that in front of us in 2020. In 2020, we have one candidate who has absolutely demonstrated over the last four years that he keeps his promises to the American people, that he grounds his policies not in Washington's ideas that drag on decade after decade and mire people in more and more misery, whether it's here at home or it's countries abroad, um, but someone who keeps his promises and, and, and wants to succeed, is open to new ideas, is open to reality. Uh, it's something that Washington has long claimed it's wanted, both sides of the aisle have long claimed they've wanted a genuine outsider. And this outsider, Donald Trump, came, and by the way, was immediately attacked by both sides, not just by the Democrats. The Washington establishment had no patience for him and no room for him. The thing is, nothing succeeds like success. So by now, almost the entirety of the Republican Party has truly been remade, at least while he's there, in his image, which is good. Um, We could talk in in a few minutes about some of the specifics as it relates to the Jewish community and policies. Uh, On the other hand, we have Joe Biden. Joe Biden, uh, we can't say that we have four years to judge him as the president, where he would have carte blanche to try and push his ideas. We can do two things. We can extrapolate, we can learn from what he did for close to 50 years uh, in Washington, including eight years as a vice president, when he took active roles in really hurting the U.S.-Israel relationship, in challenging Israel's right to exist as an independent sovereign Jewish state, in challenging the right of Jews to live freely in Jerusalem and other parts of Judea and Samaria. So we know that's the case. We have in front of us a choice not between lessers or greaters, but between a great president for America and the Jewish people, and between someone who has really proven himself to be a disaster. And again, not just by his actions, but also by what he promises. He said openly that he is the Democratic Party, that the Democratic Party is him during the Democrats' convention. The new policy platform that the Democrats came out with in 2020, across the board, would be disastrous for America and, of course, for Jews. And specifically, we could talk about Israel policy which has been praised, the Democrats' Israel policy, Joe Biden's Israel policy, has been praised by anti-Israel and anti-Semitic figures like James Zogby. And we'll explain why. But before I get to Israel, I do want to talk about other things. Alan mentioned that he finds it insulting when people talk about a Jewish case as distinguished or distinct from being just an American case. So let's start with something. Uh, If Donald Trump had done just one thing, Diana, If Donald Trump had just brought us Amy Coney Barrett to the Supreme Court, as he did this past week, that would have been enough for Jews to come out in droves to support this president. One of the promises he made from the beginning was to appoint federal judges that uphold the Constitution. Now, many in our community do understand this, but I know from experience that many do not understand why this is relevant to our daily lives. It seems very far removed, It seems like a Washington concept or an academic concept. Right before Donald Trump became president in October, I believe, of of, right on the eve of the election, in 2016, a judge appointed by Barack Obama in California decided that Jews should not have the right to slug Kaparos with a chicken, erev Yom Kippur. Now, a lot of Jews don't like it. A lot of Jews do. The point is, it's our decision. And somebody advised this judge, you know, some just do it using coins, that should be good enough. And the judge decided that in a country which allows the slaughter of animals to eat, it allows hunting for fun, Jews should not be allowed to slug up hearts with chickens because chickens' rights are more important than the First Amendment for humans, more important than our religious rights. It seems like a small issue, it's not a small issue. I've been in, for the last several years, I've been in rooms with state legislators around this country where they have raised their, de- their desire to end shchita, to end kosher slaughter, just as has happened in similarly progressive cultures in Europe, uh, where they've threatened to end bris, circumcision. This is something which literally would be the end no matter how you feel about Israel policy, whether you understand it or you're confused by it, whether you're a J-streeter or uh, um, you know, a ZOA person—it doesn't make a difference. Jews cannot survive, nor can this country survive with a cadre of unelected, lifetime-appointed individuals trained by the finest left-wing universities, who decide that it's they have the right to decide whether we can worship, how we can worship, what we can worship. You understand that even already under the Clinton administration, the Clinton Justice Department discussed ways in which children, this was actually on a website that Janet Reno put up, it was taken down, children should uh, come to authorities if they think their parents say certain things that might be offensive. The idea that the norms of freedom, of individual freedom, are utterly to be destroyed. So for example, there's been an effort in the last few weeks to redefine the concept of court packing. Another concept which seems to be well known to lawyers only, or to Washington only. Court packing was a specific scheme by FDR, by Roosevelt, to increase the number of Supreme Court justices so that he could get his policies through despite the Constitution. Overrun the Constitution, put judges in there who don't care about the Constitution. The Democrats are openly discussing doing that now. Joe Biden has said he wants to study doing it, which means he wants to do it, because everyone in his caucus is saying, do this now. But it's an outrage, it literally means our votes will no longer matter, our freedoms will no longer matter. They will simply be able to own everything. They'll be able to tell us what to do with no limitations. The one barrier to that is the Supreme Court or the court system, the, the federal courts in general, but the Supreme Court is the, is the final backstop. And so for by Donald Trump putting by now three justices who care about the constitution that protects minorities, people also don't understand that democracy unfettered unlimited democracy is not good for minorities because all that really means that's mob rule and our founding fathers understood this that you cannot allow the majority to take away your right to think to speak to assemble to pray sound familiar that's what's happening to us now in new york they're taking away that right and the only people who could stop it reside in the courts it always has to go to the courts and if you and, and by donald trump appointing judges who understand that our freedoms come first, that our founding fathers understood that the Bill of Rights means that no legislature, no president, no government can ever take away your right to believe what you want to believe, to think, to say, to pray. That's what the Democrats are fighting. Jews cannot survive. No America can really survive. And that's literally what's at stake now. So I'd say that's the first issue. I would say that people should familiarize themselves in the very short time they have, if they still in doubt, if they're still in doubt, with what the Democrats' platform says. Political parties pass platforms. They come under great scrutiny. They're voted uh, first by subgroups, and then they're voted on by the overall convention. That's what takes place at conventions. They agree on a can- on candidates, and they agree on a set of policies. What happened with the Democrats? Now, let me tell you uh, background. One of the things that I had a hand in was. Drafting the language that ended up being the the Republicans' 2016 platform when it came to Israel, and in it we were very clear that America's interest—and this was adopted unanimously by the Republican Party to a standing ovation—that no longer would we insist that Israel must create a Palestinian state. Instead, we say Israel is a sovereign nation; it is our ally. We—and this—the language is very clear. The Republican Party repudiates the lie that Israel is an illegal occupier of anyone else's territory, and that we, America, will back Israel in its own pursuit of peace and its own self-interest. That's what an ally does for an ally. This was passed unanimously. Donald Trump, immediately the president embraced this. He personally hailed it as the greatest pro-Israel platform of all time, as did all the Zionist groups and the state of Israel. The left went berserk yelling, oh, my God, Donald Trump is destroying the two-state solution. Of course, they're the ones who are arguing at the same time that Israel wants a two-state solution. Well, if all we're saying is do what Israel wants, how could they argue that? And the answer is because what they call the two-state solution, what Joe Biden calls the two-state solution, is not a proposal for peace. It is a mandate that the PLO get a terror state controlling all the strategic depth that Israel has without a peace process. In other words, create a bigger, more powerful, more deadly Gaza on Israel's most vulnerable border. That is literally what they demand. They demand, again, this is Biden, that Jews be stripped away, be ethnically cleansed from Judea and Samaria. Understand this party, which Joe Biden himself, they lied about what they called the Muslim ban. There was never a ban by Donald Trump on any Muslim living anywhere in the world. There was a ban temporarily until we could figure out countries that were on a terror list so we could figure out how to vet the people coming in.
0: And that was seven countries, also including North Korea, which is not a Muslim country.
2: Correct. Uh, that's correct, Alan. And also, it was a list that was compiled by Obama's people, by Obama before Donald Trump, as, as, as the terror hotspots. This is just a way to protect us. By the way, fast forward to COVID. Donald Trump tries to protect us. They call him a racist again, okay? So Donald Trump is trying to protect us without regard to race, religion, ethnicity, or anything, just to protect America from dangers and threats. And the other side, which, which the same week, the same week the House Democrats passed uh, a bill which was meaningless, but they claimed, see, we passed the anti-Muslim ban bill. They passed their policy that contains an actual ban on Jews being allowed to live somewhere in the world. It's unimaginable that they would let anybody else not live somewhere in the world. And for us, it's Judea. That is literally Joe Biden's policy.
0: Jeff, do you remember during the Obama administration, they had a restriction on how many people could come here from Israel? It was, I it was during the Obama administration. I
2: something like it. I don't remember the exact yeah. term, so I can't speak to it specifically. Yeah. There was something. There was listen During the Obama administration, uh, they specifically went after Jewish nonprofits. They specifically did everything they can to really treat Jews ju- just to want to have a Jewish state or to have a Jewish identity as being criminals. By the way, that's happening again today here in New York, and, and it resonates. For example, uh, and we do need to talk about anti Semitism. For example, uh, last week I saw three articles. For all I know, there were 300. I happened to see three articles. Here's an example CNN had a piece that the headline was the causes for the surge of, of COVID, that COVID is resurging in more than half the states. I read the article. Not once did that article make any reference to Jews in any way, shape or form, nothing about Jews. But the picture illustrating that article was a conspicuously Orthodox Jew. There were other articles like that where the media, which calls Trump a racist for acknowledging that, that, the, that the virus comes from China, they illustrate the COVID virus with pictures of Jews. Yeah, Bear. That's
0: an excellent point, Jeff. That's a yeah. very good point. Every time he says it's come from China, he's called a racist. And like you said, we've got papers here. It was uh, Cuomo had, uh, when he uh, uh, recently came out with the new declaration, he had a picture, I think, of Sotmer that was going back, I think, uh, several years ago. So you're that's absolutely right. right about that. Just,
2: when the, the cages were Obama's, and, and, right. and the picture from Jews was from years ago. That's what they do. You know who else does that? The Palestinian terrorists, that's what they do. Jeff, is it true that uh, the problem
1: is that the blue states see President Trump as a benefactor to the Jewish state and a genuine fighter against anti-Semitism?
2: Well, let's talk about that. That is, is bail a very important issue. And you raised this early on. There has been a, a, uh, an organized effort to redefine, just as, as we know there was an organized effort to redefine what Zionism is. By groups like J Street, which are which are political front groups, to take truly hostile anti-Israel policies and call, oh, this is progressive pro-Israel, progressive Zionism, which is just per, a perversion of the concept. So too now there's a perversion of the concept of anti-Semitism, which is which is there's a political term you may be familiar with, gaslighting, where, yeah. you, where you say okay, where you, where you say something. Which you know to be false in order to confuse listeners. Right. That's what's happening now, and unfortunately, a number of organizations with Jewish-sounding names, some actually well-known organizations that used to be helpful for Jews, have now come along with this. They're traveling right along with the Democrats as a party and protecting them by claiming there's anti-Semitism where it doesn't exist, denying anti-Semitism where it does exist. Yeah. So, for example, you have Linda Sarsour saying. Oh, I'm very anti Semitism, and then go on to spew anti Semitism. So they're trying to, they're, they're playing this game. To me, it's very simple. Look who supports whom, right? If you believe that J Street is correct, if you believe that J Street, which, which even today is not allowed in the Conference of Presidents, which has all kinds of people across the board, including very liberal and very leftist, they're still, although we'll see how long that lasts, not considered a mainstream Jewish organization because of how hostile to Israel they are. The first presidential candidate in history that they have endorsed is Joe Biden. And he didn't reject their endorsement. He embraced their endorsement. Kamala Harris voted against anti-BDS bills. Their platform, people should know this. People think that it's an anti-BDS platform. Read it carefully. As James Zogby said when he was speaking to Code Pink, if you know who they are, virulently pro-terror, virulently anti-Semitic group, he laughed and he said, No, read it more closely, right? This is on the internet, you can find this. What he told them was the the platform nullifies itself. It's as if he said the Republican party had put a platform that said, of course we oppose abortion, but obviously every woman should have to make that own choice herself, right? You say the words that mean nothing, and then you put a policy in front that is, that's a pro-choice policy, not a pro-life policy. That's what they're doing with BDS. They say Jews have no right to live in that land. Therefore, they're actually endorsing BDS and they're trying to change the definition of anti-Semitism identically to what Jeremy Corbyn tried to do, identically to what Corbyn tried to do in the UK.
0: Jeff, over the last four years, the words I've heard more than any other time before was the word dog whistle, which also yes. means that a president says something that it sends a message out. Now, I'm sure you've noticed this. Donald Trump has these rallies all over the country, where the smallest one is 30,000 attendees, others are 50,000. And these are primarily non-Jews going there. And at every rally, he talks about support for Israel. Now, what could be a bigger dog whistle to the world? That if you support me, you support Israel. Now, when it comes to Democrats, yes, when they go to an AIPAC or to a yeshiva dinner where they're being honored, they will say, I stand against, anti- se- against anti-Semitism. against But you'll never hear them speaking to one of their crowds or their base or to any non-Jewish audience and say, we support Israel, we oppose anti-Semitism. That they leave just for our consumption. Donald Trump is the first president to speak to such a national audience. And if you remember a few years ago, the European Union told Israel, um, Donald Trump isn't gonna be president forever. So like, almost like a veiled threat against Israel. You have it good now, but this isn't gonna last. So you know already what Europe's agenda is, and they look at the United States. To not recognize that Donald Trump is, this isn't about even the evangelicals. This is a message to the world. As long as I'm president, we're gonna be behind Israel. Leaving out the embassy move. Also, never once did they ever tell Israel, "You you can't retaliate the way you deem necessary. Nikki Haley uh, at the UN uh, signing anti-BDS legislation, punishing any university that doesn't oppose BDS. He's done tremendous things for Israel and the Jewish community that no one else has ever done. And yet he's not recognized for it. And furthermore, he's insulted. He's called the most hideous names. I don't even want to repeat him, his kids, and his family. And this to me is where the future of America is. If Donald Trump can do so much for us, and our own people go into the gutter because this is the direction of politics. I fear for what's going to happen even if we win now. what happens afterwards? because this is the direction that's becoming acceptable in politics and in our country.
2: Right, I know that our time is getting short let me let me just uh, uh, re- address a couple of those points quickly. Uh, you know th- there there is no group in America that is more targeted. For hate crimes than jews and this is we understand this and yet the left they treat us as though we're the most privileged of privileged white people they don't consider us a minority when it suits them um on the contrary uh, you know they were happy they're happy to scapegoat us they're happy to exploit us but uh they're also happy to to treat us as as poorly as they treat everyone else as i like to say and and this was really my my uh, co-author bruce uh, abramson's phrase the uh the left Uh, Hates white supremacists because they're white the right hates white supremacists because they're supremacists and that's really that's really the difference So the thing is like what I what I see is, you know I wrote a piece about why Donald Trump will win the Jewish vote and obviously people claim he won't but I think we need to understand That there's a there's a cognitive Misunderstanding of what a Jewish vote means forget about religiously who's a Jew forget about ethnically who's a Jew? Statistically and politically we know there used to be very avid outreach to Irish American voters, but there really doesn't exist anymore because over the decades, what we found in more recently, that if you're an Irish American, your vote is not distinguishable just because you're Irish than anybody around you is a non-minority who lives in your neighborhood with a similar income and background. But if you're a Catholic voter, we still do Catholic outreach, and a lot of those Catholic voters are, 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 are in fact Irish. So we don't do Irish voter outreach really, but we do Catholic voter outreach. The the anomaly, the strange part about Jew is that the the word Jew means the same thing politically as Irish and as Catholic. So we have a, a large number of people in this country who are Jews in the sense that they're Irish, meaning it's an ethnic reality. They're absolutely Jews, but it has stopped being a variable in their politics. How do we know this? J Street, every four years, comes out and trumpets. Jews don't vote on Israel, and they try and prove it. Why would they say that? Why would anybody who claims to be lobbying for any issue, say, no one cares, which is what they're doing. Why would they? the answer is because they lobby against Israel, and that's what they're trying to say. So that's the cadre they speak to. But those who do care about Jewish priorities, anti-Semitism, Israel, etc., overwhelmingly do vote for Trump. Meaning those who vote on Jewish issues, statistically and politically, overwhelmingly will vote for Donald Trump. Yeah, bail.
1: Jeff, the American people cannot forget about the peace deals he has overseen. I mean, the economy is good, uh, getting getting Europe to pay their their fair share in NATO and the UN, China, dealing with the opiate crisis, dealing with the pharmaceutical companies and bringing down the prices on some drugs, lowest unemployment for blacks, women and Hispanics, et cetera. Do you think that what's really going on is that they're not doing their homework, that people are not doing their research. They're being well, misinformed, people are just misinformed because of what they're reading and, or rather what they are not, not reading. And instead they should be doing their own research.
2: So, there, there, you know, uh, this is gonna sound funny because I'm, I'm being presented as, as a political expert, but a few weeks ago I was, I was reading something about how most Americans can't name their congressman or congresswoman. <laughs> after that, That's think true. Hard, think hard about who mine is. I like, what? And I knew who it was, but I, why didn't I know immediately? When well, I could tell you the names of, you know, dozens of Congress people elsewhere. And I realized why. There's a concept called, called rational ignorance. If something no. doesn't matter to you. So I already know that this district is probably not in play. I'm thinking about districts that are in play. So I forget about this one. It's, I don't like really to keep track of it. That's true. That's what's true. And in fact, are, in fact, people didn't know who the governor was before COVID. Right. Well, exactly right. That's what our people need to understand. Jews, minorities especially, and the minority that's the most attacked in the world and in in, in America especially needs to understand because it is irrational to be ignorant of these things. Because these things touch us. If you don't know that the president chooses who sits on the Supreme Court and why the Supreme Court can save your right to have cashless, then you haven't figured out how the world really works. And the media spends its entire time pushing a narrative that is intended to keep you ignorant you know, I think you said this. I used to be the head of communications for CBS News. I understand yeah. how the media works. The media has its narrative. If you ask them, of course, they're very good people. They are not thinking this. They are equally in the tank. There's a, there's a worldview they have. They are, they are constantly reading the same things. They believe this. So for them, most of them, they can survive. We cannot survive if we don't understand. Also, it's one of the reasons... And I give tremendous credit to the people who are pushing this and it has not been me. I, people thought it's me. It's not me. The, the, the recent Jews for Trump uh, rallies, the big people say, well, it's New York. Who cares? Are you kidding? The, the, the fervor that this shows around the country is resonating hugely. First of all, it's probably the reason Cuomo dropped his restrictions because you saw what's happening, but across the country, Jews, non-Jews, everyone is seeing this. It's a game changer. Thank God Jews are doing this, and I hope that Trump, and he's been so pro-Israel, so pro-Jewish, so pro-America, I hope he teaches our community that we have to be better informed about what's happening. Right,
1: right. So in essence, it's an American case for re-election.
2: In essence, we're Americans. That's why we're voting on it. The <laughs> Israelis support him also. The Israelis fully, yes. ex- right, you know, across the board, recognize he's great for Israel, uh, but yes. Uh, we, are, we are fully integrated here, and, we need, and and no matter how firm we are, no matter how segregated our communities are or aren't, everything affects us, and we do have to be, uh, we have to know what's happening.
0: Jeff, it was an honor having you. Hope to have you back. God bless, and may, we have much to celebrate after this Tuesday. Well,
1: thank, we you. Will. <laughs> thank you. Thank you so will. much, Jeff. Thank All you, right. God and willing. yes, we will celebrate. Yes. Thank you. And thank you so much to our listening audience.